Hello and welcome to the much-anticipated episode of Popcorn Optional. At least much-anticipated for us. I don't know how it is for our audience, but for us, we get to talk Star Wars The Last Jedi, and that's pretty much all we're going to talk this week. Uh, we are a movie podcast that normally talks news, does a segment, talks trailers, does a review, but literally all we're going to do this week is talk The Last Jedi, because I'm pretty sure we can do uh, two, three hours just on Last Jedi. But my name is Cameron Salina. Tonight I am joined by my co-hosts Jake Brown and Trevor Allison. Guys, I I saw Ferdinand, so this is gonna be. <laughs> I was the one person that saw it. I think you did think leave you our should... theater for an hour and a half, and so I was curious where you went. <laughs> I think that, that you sense. should answer any question that Cam asks, like yeah. as he's asking it about Ferdinand. And we'll just so kind of go with. Jake, what do you think of the cinematography? The way Ferdinand used the force in that scene was inspiring. <laughs> Would you I say mean, the force about... is strong with him? Uh, very strong, in fact. Mm, okay. He might be Ray's parents. What if Ferdinand is Snoke? I don't want to get way too into spoilers, <laughs> but there's some interesting stuff with Ferdinand in the last act of this film. Yeah, mm. big crossover that I was not expecting. His work okay. with a lightsaber is fascinating. Well, his horns actually are lightsabers. <laughs> it's going to be a good episode, guys. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> oh, man. We're in for a fun one. But we've been gone for two weeks. We took a break last week. Unfortunately, we couldn't see Disaster Artist or um, Shape, of Shape of Water. So we just dis- yeah. we decided to take a break. But there's a lot that happened in the last week. And so I'm going to try and sum it all up in one sentence here. Ready? Set. Disney bought Fox. Wow, holy cow, amazing. Tarantino's doing Star Trek, but it'll be rated R, which kind of is weird considering what you consider Star Trek to be and Tarantino to be. And then we got trailers for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Mortal Engines, Sicario 2, Soul Dad, The Nutcracker, Four Realms, Oceans 8, Annihilation, Anita Battle Angel, Ready Player One, and Cinemark announced a joke of a subscription where for $8.99 a month, you get one ticket, 20% off snacks, and no online fees. Just a reminder... Movie Pass is $9.99 a month, and you get unlimited movies. So I don't know how that balances out. But that's fun. Way to go, Cinemark. Any Boom. comments on any of that? There um, you go. Tarantino Star Wars. What? And Star also, Trek? yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry. My bad. Too many things going on. Tarantino how Star Trek you? is first a what and then a interesting. So, so yeah, that's For a series happen. that seems to be all about hope, they brought in an interesting director to direct a movie. But Tarantino also is as respectful as it comes of the works that come before him. So I think I think we're gonna get a really interesting homage here. Yeah, that's fair. But the other thing that I quickly want to update on is the Rotten Tomatoes guesses for the month of December. Uh, in the first week, Jake won the point for I Tanya, where he guessed ninety one, and the Rotten Tomato score ended up being a ninety. This week, Trevor won Ferdinand when he guessed 56 and the, high, the closest to that uh, actual score of 73. And then Trevor also uh, did something pretty legendary and guessed the exact score for Star Wars The Last Jedi at 93. So, so far for the month of December, Trevor leads four, Jake has one, and I'm in last place at zero. 
That means that I uh, am the last Jedi, I think. Well, if I knew that's what was at stake, I would have actually taken it seriously, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. The winner of this month gets to be the last Jedi. Uh, we need to establish this up front. <laughs> I know. We are those people that establish rules halfway through uh, the game, and that's and the that's only fun way to do it. Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Which is made even funnier when we when you realize that we all live in Texas with that joke as well. Yeah. Listen, listen. I I one day, a very long time from now, I'm gonna listen to all of these and make sure there's an Office reference in all of our episodes because I think there is. But does the Office have an official podcast? Because if not, can we be the official podcast of the Office? We'll be like the Gilmore Guys, but for the Office. Ooh. <laughs> there's a I podcast called the Gilmore Guys. Oh, yeah. It's like crazy popular. It's these guys that watch Gilmore Girls and do like a review pod on every single episode of Gilmore Girls. Guys. Wow. Gilmore Girls sucks. Don't. It's like perfectly adequate binge watching, but the last year in the life season is garbage. I can't watch it. It's awful. I hope my wife didn't listen to any of that. She's a huge Gilmore Girls <laughs> it's fan. Like and I'm my, afraid that. My wife's watching it in the other room right now. It's okay. it's the it's the longest running show with zero likable characters that I've ever what? seen. What? You think well, there's it, no one likable? There's no nothing's relatable. It's like, mom, I got into Harvard. Save oh, that's three great. Let's go talk to your grandma. Texas. Blah blah blah. Well, it's just like super fast talking rich white people about. I don't know. There's no emotion. It is kind of there's funny no though. Acting. I like how funny yeah. it is sometimes. Yeah. Anyways, I will say, Star, while it's Star not my Wars. favorite show of all time, it's not bad. Okay. But we are five minutes into this episode and already off topic. Because all we're supposed to be talking about is Star Wars. I don't know if Let's anyone in the it. world realized it, but Star Wars came out this week. And that's amazing. Depending on which side of the coin you land on, because this is probably the most polarizing Star Wars film to date. Normally, f- critics, audiences are kind of in agreement on things when it comes to star wars but this has seemed to polarize people and you know i'm curious because the hardest part was me and jake saw this together and we literally walked out of the theater and i was like i have so much i want to say and i can't say any of it to you right now and so (laughs) you know it's one of those things where it's like i love this podcast but i want to talk to my friend who's standing right in front of me about this right now (laughs) we we do this for Um, you dear listener we destroy our social relationships just for you Exactly. So if you like us, please recommend us to a friend because we're, you know, we don't have, we don't have any, we don't have any more friends. We have wasted all of our opportunities with them. Let's go ahead and talk our general thoughts on star Wars, the last Jedi, Jake, let's get started with you. Yeah. Um, so it's star Wars. I mean, I'm generally a fan of star Wars. The prequels are not great, but like, there's still Star Wars, you know, it's like still lightsabers and stuff. So um, this is the second film of the third trilogy. Generally, the second film is the worst in a what? trilogy, just in general, not in general. Star Wars, but just yeah, in general. I can. Um, yeah. Empire Strikes Back and Dark Knight kind of have debunked that theory, but it's generally the, the case. Yes. The two towers. Uh. 9-11, God bless, never forget. Um, <laughs> well, weird way to turn that. <laughs> okay, well, here we go. Uh, 
So I would say that The Last Jedi is, it's a really fun Star Wars movie. And like when it's good, it might be the best Star Wars movie ever. But when it's bad, it's like at the level of the prequels and had me scared for a little while. Fortunately, there's a lot more good than bad. Um, and overall, I, I had a lot of fun with it. So that's, that's my general thoughts. All right. So I, I have like bizarre mixed feelings about this. I'm not even sure that I can like talk about if I liked it or not until I see it again. Cause I really, I, it's very different. It has a very different feel than a lot of the other star Wars movies. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I, I'll, I think I can sum it up best by saying this. I like everything that happens, but I don't always like how it happened. I think yeah. it's an overall great story, but the execution is iffy in some places. Um, so I, 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 I liked it, and I'm definitely going to see it again in theaters. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I am not angry at Ryan Johnson. I don't think this is a huge misstep for the franchise or anything. It did leave me with kind of a weird, different feeling than most Star Wars films. But the more that I've sat with it, the more that I like it and appreciate what happened. So it's it's interesting. There's a lot to unpack here, but but ultimately, um, I'm I'm glad that it exists. I'll say it that way. Okay. Well, this is interesting because I am. I don't know if I'm. Well, okay. Let me just say this. So if I had, if we had done a podcast the second we walked out of the theater, I would have be saying a lot of very different things than I'm about to say. Um, this is a movie that as it sat with me, I mean, I've thought about this movie every day since I've seen it and not just because of this podcast, but because of how risky this movie is in what it does. Um, there's a lot of things that it, there's a lot of questions that people have going into this movie and this movie ultimately just goes, your questions are pointless and throws them out the window. And I love that it does that. And at first I really was frustrated about that. But part of the reason why I love that is because it, these things that they do to progress this movie are the natural and most logical steps to move forward. And I love that they made those decisions to go with that. Um, this outside of the original trilogy, which I even like return of the Jedi quite a bit. I know a lot of people dog on it. Outside of return, outside of the original trilogy, this is my favorite Star Wars film to date. Um, outside of Rogue One, Force Awakens, any of the prequels, this is my favorite Star Wars movie, and I think this accomplishes a lot of what Star Wars is supposed to be about. I think Ryan Johnson understands this series. I think he, contrary to what people think um, really cares about this series and these characters. And there are moments in this movie that left my jaw on the floor in like, in terms of like cinematography and also Uh like story. Um, This is like, I have, I, I love this movie and I'm just so happy that we get a star Wars film that takes, takes risks like this and they for the most part pay off. Now I will say there are a couple of scenes that don't work. Um, one in particular spoilers. Yeah. But I mean, th- yeah. there's one obvious thing that doesn't work. And outside of that though, I feel like it's a pretty successful movie. Yeah. Cameron, um, I, I totally agree with you. Like my, my favorite part about this movie is how it just like 
we've had two years since the force awakens and everyone's like who's snoke is what's luke gonna be like who's Rey's parents and literally this entire film is just like it doesn't matter literally none of it matters and like one of the um, most hyped up like things is like one of the very first scenes and it pretty much like from that scene on is just like any question you have throw it out the window and i mean it's like literally and yeah. just goes from there. Well, it, it feels very We're, intentional that, that Ryan Johnson was like, I'm telling the story. Yeah. Yes. Like, We're definitely... You- We're going to have to get the spoilers here in a little bit because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like we just have to. But yeah, my his you can tell Ryan Johnson loves Star Wars and he's willing to shatter the universe that he loves to break down people um, and... It's just like, it's what needed to happen. And I think it also just kind of reflects, uh, people's reactions really reflect the toxicity of internet fandom and like mm-hmm. modern day culture. Because like when the original Star Wars films came out, like you just really had your friends to talk to about and like theorize. And now you can you can see a Star Wars movie and then go read thousands of theories on the internet, and then you enter the film with basically your own vision of the film in your mind. And so by the time you finish watching the movie, no matter how good it is, you have all of these expectations in your mind that aren't going to be met, no matter yep. what it is. And um, I, I think that Ryan Johnson did an incredible job with essentially an impossible task, and I love the tone shift that he did, and almost like the the middle finger almost to yeah. a lot of people's like obsession with this, this world. And like, no matter, no matter how much you love star Wars, no matter what you think about star Wars, you're not the writer and the director of a star Wars movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. it definitely, like, <laughs> it, it definitely has the influences. I, mean, I, I feel like in some ways it's almost like Ryan Johnson looked at empire and was like, what if we took Empire sort of and did all of these things differently? Because this has some some shades of Empire to it, um, but it's like he he threw them all into a blender and only picked out what he liked, and then did some other new stuff as well. And I think yeah. I think that that's interesting. You like I agree with you with, with you guys that you can definitely tell that that he um, respects the universe, respects the characters, but at the same time wants to push it to something else. Um, I think a lot of the complaints are people that are mad that they weren't the fanboy chosen to write and direct Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that um, it, what it comes down to, well, the, the funny thing is, is I think I feel like a lot of these people complaining about that this doesn't look or feel like a Star Wars movie also complain about how bad the prequel trilogy is. And you can't, yeah. you can't have it both ways. You can't yeah. decide that those movies were bad and then decide this is bad because it doesn't look or feel like a Star Wars movie. The bottom line here is, are you okay with a different kind of story being told? And it seems like a lot of people aren't. One of my favorite things about this is how, like, J.J. Abrams with The Force Awakens, like, which, after seeing The Last Jedi, makes me love The Force Awakens even more. Um, but J.J. Abrams, like, was perfectly passing the baton off to Ryan Johnson, like literally a perfect to be continued moment. And Ryan Johnson essentially like grabbed the baton and just ran out of the stadium. It was like, Nope, we're going the other way. Like yeah. literally like the hardest left turn he could have done with the series. And I think it's really what it needed. 
Well, I think that at the end of this movie, he leaves this series in a better place than it's ever been after any other film in the series. Like, without getting into spoilers, he he loves... Like, you can... I know there are so many people out there that just are like, how could he do this? And so much of that is just like their expectations and their theories weren't correct, so they're angry because their version of these characters didn't match up with the version that popped up on screen. When it's like, you don't know these characters as well as the man that's creating them. Like, he's the one that is put into this. And I know people are like, there are 200 plus books of uh, legends, stories about Luke. And it's like, but that's not canon. Like, when you should know from, like, when Disney bought this, they said, that stuff's no longer canon. We're moving, you know, we're going to create our own new canon. And they created a whole different new set of things. And I just, it, it frustrates me to see all these people who, they take ownership. It's impossible to tell like a good story when you're put in such a tight corner that yeah. Star Wars fans have put the story in. Because yes. of, like you said, all of the books, the comics, the video games, which are all amazing and a lot of fun. But if we're going to acknowledge every single one of those myths and legends and side stories and stuff, you literally cannot progress the story forward. Yeah, I think that right. the Disney doing almost a, a a reboot with the canon, blowing the whole thing up from a few years ago, saying it's the movies and the Clone Wars series. That's only all that's canon. And I know they added stuff in now, but really, George Lucas and Lucasfilm did a terrible job of managing this universe from a commercial yeah. perspective yeah. for 30 years. They just let anyone who wanted to come in and write a story and stuff was contradictory and it was all over each other. And I think that this was a good move going forward and is going to be a good thing for the universe. So to uh, so people have people talk about how we should draw from those stories, whatever, like I, I don't need that. Um, let's right. go, with, let's go in a new direction with the, the parameters that we've set, but then move forward. Um, yeah. almost yeah. in like a, like a doctor who kind of way where, 40 years ago, we have these basic set of rules that everything has to fall under. But besides that, we can do whatever we want. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is from a marketing standpoint. Um, I did not watch. I watched the very first trailer and then avoided TV trailers and the second trailer of this. And I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know if my experience is heightened by doing that. Um, and I know that that's probably for people who don't watch trailers, a controversial thing to say, um, cause I've read many accounts online of how, oh, I didn't watch trailers and it made it so much better, but there's so much misdirection and so many things they don't show you in the trailers that I really want to give Disney a hand on this because they did a fantastic job. I went back and watched the trailers after the movie. They did a fantastic job in marketing this movie without giving anything away. Like yeah. even lines that are said are framed differently in the context of the movie and shots and all these, there's different things that are given background. And then it's just Disney. I'd give you a lot of flack, especially for your marketing with Marvel movies, but you did a great job in marketing star Wars, the last Jedi. Yeah. I, I watched all the trailers just because I knew it was going to be such a pain in the butt to avoid. And I, I trust Disney and how they know how to market films. They've been doing it for a while. Um, and I didn't feel like anything was spoiled. I was just as surprised as everybody else was in the theater. And 
uh, they do a great job of misdirecting you and like setting you up for something that you think is going to happen. And then like the opposite happens. And I feel like it even makes you more surprised. You're like, what? Like, so it was, it was good. I'll watch the trailers for the next one. Yeah. I'm kind of back on that boat of trailer watching. (laughs) I meant to go back and watch the trailers, but I still haven't. So I don't have anything to add except that I had no idea what was coming scene to scene in this film. I guess my ploy worked in that sense, but from what Jake is saying, it sounds like it doesn't really matter either way. It's, it's one of those things where I think that like your enjoyment of a movie, if a movie's good and I feel this way because of Spider-Man homecoming, if a movie's good, the marketing doesn't matter and it's going to be good regardless. Yeah. There. But yeah. To a point. <laughs> yeah. To I mean you you can't pull a Terminator Genesis and give away the big, you know, twist of the movie and ex- still expect people to enjoy it. Although that's a garbage movie regardless, so that's <laughs> completely different. Um okay, do you guys have anything else that's non-spoilery to talk about before we just kind of I want to dive into this movie? I wanted to say overall what did you guys think about the humor? Because I thought it was a little bit too funny. Okay. So here, think, here's my thing I, with I that. I think it was nice at some times, but I think it was a little bit too much in some places. Every time that there's humor in this movie, it's not pointless. It serves a purpose story-wise. And th- this, this is the one thing that I was like, okay... Because I like the humor in this movie, and so I, I really try to think about why do I like it, what point does it serve, and I really do feel like the humor in this movie serves a purpose. Now, if it's just the jokes felt out of place, go watch Empire. And Empire, ha- I mean, there are times where Leia's walking down the hallway in A New Hope, and she's like, get this furball out of my... I mean, there are jokes like Han is constantly cracking jokes that are, for the time, this level of joking. Um, I just want to clarify that- really quick. When we say Empire, we're talking about the Fox TV show, right? Yes, about Terrence Howard, Terrence Howard, okay. P. Henson. Okay, I just wanted yes. to make sure that I was on the same page as you guys. Yes, Fox. You know, look at how they do jokes on that show. You know, there was <laughs> yeah. this one scene where you know Terrence Howard was sitting there, and it was you know, and okay, BB-8 I, I was think. like, what? <laughs> What if that was a scene, you know, Terrence Howard and BB-8 just chilling in the recording booth. Dropping a mm. fat beat. Um, no, I the humor worked for me. I, I liked it. At some, it was a little much. Our theater much. was kind of dead. Like, yeah, Jake, nobody at, was laughing in our theater, right? There were, at the big humor moments, people were laughing, and, like, I was laughing. Um, the, I think the problem is the humor here I agree with Cameron that it serves the story and character development, but it felt more Disney-fied than like, not not like adult as in like gross quote potty humor, but like just some of the jokes and a lot of like the cuter funny moments just felt a little more Disney. But okay, I well, I, I think liked it. Like I'm still I thought it was funny, and I'm as pause- I sit with it, some it, it gets better. I'm. I'm not used to having a character as funny as Poe in this series. Like, like there's no one that's but like Han's reliably hysterical. funny. Well, Han is, but Han is funny because of how serious he is. Poe is like, like uh, even like the very first scene of Force Awakens where he says, "Who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? Like, 
that's something I, I don't have a problem with it, but it's something that takes some getting used to, I think, within the confines of this series, for me at least. But I mean, it's, it's a modernized. Okay, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause this right here for a second and say if you have not seen this movie, we are going to dig, get into spoilers because there's a specific piece of comedy <laughs> I want to talk about that perfectly segues into our first topic. And yes, okay, so if you are one of the few people who likes movies and didn't go see Star Wars this weekend, Go see Star Wars and come back and listen to the rest of this podcast because there is going to be plenty more. I mean, I think we're about 20 minutes into this episode and we probably still have another hour and a half of talking to go because there's just so many amazing moments in this movie to break down and talk about. If you haven't seen Star Wars, go see it. Come back. Okay. Everybody's still there? All right. Everybody pay? Everybody play. Here we go. <laughs> Number two. Number two. <laughs> okay, so Trevor, is the specific piece of comedy you're talking about at the beginning of the film where Hux is on the bridge and Poe's like, uh, is he there? Can, can he hear me? Is that the part that you're talking about? It was, a, well, I, I mean, I mentioned the beginning of Force Awakens, but that, yeah, it was weird because it felt like anachronistic almost. Like it was, like somebody wrote it in 2017 for something that takes place in like a different universe. I mean, I, I long time ago in a galaxy far, right, far away. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I will say it might play better on second watch, but I felt, and also I was on that like super high of like star Wars fanfare sprawling yeah. across the screen. Yeah. Um, first scene, we have Oscar Isaac being hilarious. Like I wasn't mentally prepared for it. Yeah. yeah that's, I, that's fair. But it, it, it like, so what I, I think that it's upon the second character. viewing, right? Yeah, I, I I've come to that like the last couple of days. I've kind of come to that realization. That that's like who he is and how he does yeah. things. And I think on second viewing, knowing what motivates him, because the ultimate like so in that opening scene, Poe is trying to distract the uh, first order from firing on their ship, and he's just trying to wait um, and wait something out. I don't remember what the specific thing is. He's trying to wait. He's trying like to get engine boost. Yeah, he's trying to charge his engine so he can get he's, close enough to take out the cannons. Right. And so he's trying to he's delaying them. He's trying to hold them off for a second. And I think on second viewing of knowing that, it it'll work better. Like trying to hear him and see him cuz I know that like they kind of cut in partway through that and kind of give you a hint of like okay, he's charging something up. Um all I, I know is for the humor like it might have been a little too long in certain places. I think it works because it's who he is as a character. Like the stuff with the porgs, I with Chewbacca. Oh my gosh, yes, that's funny. That was hilarious. The like the little amphibian like nuns on the island and how like Ray keeps <laughs> like that was hilarious. Like there's there's a place for humor in Star Wars, and I'm. I'm totally Luke drinking fine with green it. milk out of a sea monster. <laughs> that was a little unnecessary. <laughs> that was we didn't need that. Yeah. What? Guys, come no, on. I that's did, pure Star Wars. That's calling did, it back to the blue milk. I did not. <laughs> oh. Uh. The only other piece of comedy that I can think of that a lot of people seem to complain about is the scene where um so there's this beautiful thing that's done in the movie where through the force, Kylo and Ray are able to talk back and forth to each other, even though they are thousands of miles apart, 
um, across the galaxy from each other. And there's billions, one even. scene where that happens. Billions, you could say. Um, and there's one scene where he has his shirt off and you cut to him and he's shirtless and where he's like, can you, can you put a shirt on or something? And so the constant complaint is like, well, that's kind of a weird joke. So I read something online today where Ryan Johnson explained that. And he said, the whole point of that scene was to show you that it's not just them like telepathically communicating, but that she can actually physically see him. Like she can see how he's dressed. She can see what he looks like. They are able to communicate and not just verbally, but also be able to see each other. Also, given her upbringing, it's not completely crazy that it's one of the few times she's seen a male without a shirt on in her life. Yes. <laughs> also probably true. <laughs> yes. If, if so you want to really dig important. into it. <laughs> but let's go back to the very beginning because this movie kicks things off with one of the best action scenes we've gotten in the star Wars universe to date. I mean, that opening Mm. battle scene is amazing. It's worthy. This scene is worthy of a climax of a movie. This is, this is like way beyond a opening scene level kind of battle scene. Yes. And from very early on, this movie gives you a direct idea of what this movie is just in this first scene it has comedy it has the action it has the emotion and there's so many different moments in this film that if i feel like if we were to go back and watch this a second time which i'm going to be seeing a lot tonight i think but if we were to go back and watch this a second time this movie is kind of encapsulated in this single single scene not in terms of like you know edgar wright pulling a shot of the dead and telling us the entire movie through uh through commentary in the movie but more so like the emotions in this scene and the tone is throughout the rest of the movie. Um, what did you guys feel about this opening battle? Uh, it was amazing. Like the, the whole bomber rigging system. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about star Wars is the ship battles and how inspired they are by like world war two gunner stuff like that. It's just so uh-huh. cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I totally agree. This this movie took my breath away like five times. Literally, like I like gasped or out loud said to myself, like, "Wow!" And that this opening scene was one of them. And um, did you guys? Okay, so this is still regarding to the beginning of the movie when that long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away came up. Like my heart literally started oh, yes. eating yeah and then when that fanfare came in it was like ah, star wars like yeah. uh it's yeah. hard not to get choked it's, up in that moment yeah it's oh yeah it's, it's so it's powerful chills it's the best i mean it's I, I think you said this last week jake about force awakens and about this whole thing but this kind of feeling but it's like why you love movies is like encapsulated yeah. like in those like three seconds of title card fanfare opening mm-hmm. scroll like that is that is what movies are yeah i think but that opening even more fight special, scene was awesome i think so and, and so here's to me the difference between seeing this and seeing a new hope or not a new hope um of the force awakens is when we all saw the force awakens you know critics had put out their reviews but it's still kind of one of those things of like what's this gonna be is it gonna be good is it gonna be bad how's this gonna turn out like it's a whole new chapter in the series and after that movie going into this movie, I had so much hope with this movie that it's like, 
the nervousness of if it'll be good or not was kind of out the window. And it was more just excitement, like pure joy to be able to go like, I'm seeing another star. Like I'm not just watching a new hope or empire or return of the Jedi or, you know, something on screen. I'm watching a purely new star Wars story, which is just like the fact that we get that is just mind blowing and something that we should be celebrating regardless of how it turns out. But I mean, the fact yeah. that it's like, it's this is just, is yep. I, I also love how like that opening scene is amazing. And then there's also this like immediate shift, even after the victory of taking down the dreadnought, which was so cool looking. Oh yeah. Um, Super awesome. After that victory, we have this darker emotional tone that is throughout the entire rest of the film, dealing with death and loss of friends and family and, losing hope and our sacrifices of lives worth the greater good because the old movies would have said, yes, they are. Um, and those scenes with Paige Tico, I mean, she doesn't, I don't even think she says a single word. Yeah. I don't think she does. Yeah. You care more for that character than you care for any character in a prequel movie. That's the, and you also, (laughs) that's right. By the way. Yes. Well, and then you also, she's Rose Tico's sister, the bomber pilot that, Spoiler, successfully bombs the dreadnought. And and yeah. what you get out of that also is that like her her experience encapsulates the whole movie. I mean, even more so than just the battle itself. Um, you know, like we see this and we're like, you know, people are gonna die in this movie. That's that's how this is this that's how this is gonna go. Um, it may end up good or bad in the end, whatever, but but it's not always gonna gonna work according to plan. Mm-hmm. Well, it's war. I mean, and like we get like in a Star Wars movie, we actually get a Star War. I mean, yeah. this is like the most, even more so feeling than Rogue One in some ways. This feels more like a war film in this moment. It's also like the um, the biggest glimpse we get into like the tactics of war in a Star Wars yes. movie, I think, as well. Where we really do, where it really is, I mean, like you were saying, Cam, like a scene from a war movie. Not mm-hmm. just like a space battle in a sci-fi movie. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing that even happens is we haven't even, well, Jake kind of touched on it, um, but it's, we instantly get the family dynamic of Kylo flying towards the bridge of the resistance ship and knowing that his mom's on the bridge and not firing only to have two other uh, TIE fighters come by him and destroy the bridge. And you, in that moment, you're like, did they just kill Leia? <laughs> I was that like, well, was the part that was that's like, how they're dealing with Carrie Fisher's death. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that I, that's what I thought too. <laughs> I reached over and grabbed my wife's leg and I was like, like, I, I think I actually like, I don't know if I actually said it or not, but I feel like I was going like, no way, no way, no way. Oh, oh what? No way. Cause it's just like the whole time leading up to this, you're like, you hear them talking and they're like, we didn't change her role at all. And I'm like, is this what they mean by that? They're like, well, we killed her off in the first five minutes anyway, so <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> Joke's on you guys. Yeah. Oh, but that was such a heart-wrenching, like, what did you guys think about, Le- like, Jesus, every- Jesus Leia <laughs> yeah. moment? Jesus Leia. Well, okay, even that, but more so, like, knowing this was Carrie Fisher's last movie. Like, did you, every time she came up on screen, like, I got a little misty. I, for me, she is Princess Leia. And so when I'm watching a Star Wars movie, I'm not seeing Carrie Fisher, which just okay. shows how good she is in this role. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. I I agree, Jake. It's I didn't it it the first time I saw her, it it crossed my mind, but it didn't really again because that's you're right. That's who she is. Like it's it's one of the first roles she'd ever played. She's played it consistent consistently. It's by far the role she's known for. It's it's who she is and what she's done. And um getting her to see it see her do it was was great as I mean as it always is. How did you guys feel about the moment where she force uses the force zombifies herself back into that was the a bridge little of the ship? It was a weird. little little hokey. I think I think that it could have been done maybe a little better. Part of my issue with it was how it looked. It looked really weird. It did look weird. It also just like was out of left field. Like, yeah. we, we know that she's force sensitive, but I mean, that was like some serious Jedi mind trick stuff going on there. Right. Yeah. It's, it was one of those things that in the moment was so cool to see. Like it was borderline the moment in force awakens where you see Kylo Ren stop a blaster midair. Yeah. Um, it was something so cool that like kind of revolutionized the way that you thought about the force, not revolutionized, but like brought something new to the force. And I yeah. love that. And that's exciting. Yeah. That's what, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's something, it feels weird because we've never seen it before. But when you think about the things that you know that you can do with the force, like it totally makes right. sense. Okay. Yeah. So, this is kind of off topic, but I actually wrote this in my notes as a off topic general complaint with Star Wars. It drives me nuts how ambiguous the Jedi's powers are. Like in in the original trilogy, like they're they're pretty powerful. In the prequels, they're like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, Harry Potter, crazy powerful <laughs> acrobatic Force ninjas, Star Wars, flipping everywhere, and in these movies, it's like I don't know. I was I was like, are we gonna get like we're getting younger Jedi, so are we gonna get that like acrobatic stuff? And then when like Luke Skywalker's on screen, is he gonna be like old and and weak, but like Dumbledore level magic stuff? And like I loved Luke's Force abilities in this. Like it totally makes sense. The Kylo. Ray fight scene I was like come on guys do do some flips or something like just just set a standard guys just See, set a I standard here's what what I what I think about that is that I know we we talk we talk about this but George Lucas definitely was not good with fine details um right. like I mean his He's more about poetry <laughs> the way especially I mean it's 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 it's, it's it's not seen nearly as well anywhere as like the way that he frames the geopolitical structures of these worlds. Um, George Lucas had like a fifth grade level understanding of political science. Um, well, there's a trade the, federation and through all these the trade federations of Naboo. Yeah. So, but, <laughs> but I think that, I think that what he did um, with the prequel trilogy was kind of a misstep. And I think we see Ryan Johnson, kind of understanding and kind of honing in to where it's a little bit, it's more interesting than, you know, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in episode four, like slinging heavy blades at each other. But, but it still is within, 
within the realm of believability with like good fighting and not this ridiculous Yoda bouncing off walls against Count Dooku kind of thing. Yeah, I kind of like that they're just like normal people with like some enhanced abilities. Like I I do like that, but yeah, I agree with you, Trevor. The prequels and the Clone Wars have like really messed up the quote canon of what Jedi's are capable of. Yeah. That's fair, but maybe this is framed by the prequels, but my understanding of the Force has kind of been one of those things where, to get even nerdier, I look at it as I look at magic in Harry Potter in that anything is possible, but it's more about can you master that ability? Um, Like, do you have the power? Like, not everybody could do a certain spell in Harry Potter, and I don't think every Jedi could do certain things with the force, but I think it takes a very powerful force user in order to do something like that. And so I think that moment's more about showing how strong the force is within the Skywalkers Mm -hmm. for the sole reason of then also going back. Well, this is going to get way too deep in the movie. And I kind of have an idea of how I want to structure this. I, I think it ultimately sets up, a very important theme, the major theme of the movie later on. And we'll, we'll get into that in just, just a second. I'm also okay. willing to accept the idea of enhanced force powers by necessity. Um, when like in a life or death situation, like you True. think the force acts through somebody in a time when they need it most. R- right. Right. It's like adrenaline. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's when like you need wanted. to lift a car off your child. Right. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get into the various subplots that the movie holds, and the first of which being Ray and Luke. And this subplot is kicked off by maybe the perfect moment of this is, I mean, this is the moment that I feel like, for lack of a better term, is the middle finger to the crowd. Like, this is Ryan Johnson's ultimate moment of just like, this isn't going to go how you expect it to go where Ray hands Luke the lightsaber, (laughs) he looks at it and flips it over his shoulder. Listen, that's the best four seconds of acting Mark Hamill has done in his entire career. (laughs) It is really good. I mean, the funny thing is, is that it's it's a crazy unexpected thing that explains itself later, and it totally works. And But it's also something that when you first watch it, looks like it's from an SNL sketch. <laughs> it does. But it's like, so, I almost so, just spit out coffee at that idea. It's so perfect the way it, like you guys said, though, it sets up the rest of the film of like, it just, because I feel like our modern culture, internet fandom has basically like put the lightsaber on this pedestal and you have the, the, king of all jedi literally just taking a lightsaber and be like meh and it just totally sets up of like especially that's, that's not what this is about that's especially not what that moment, about. especially after the movie before it is like half about getting the lightsaber to him yeah it's yes. like that's like what the movie is about and he's like meh but what that what that scene ultimately does is it gives us so much insight into where luke is at mentally mm-hmm. in the perfect way that it frustrates me because that's the scene that so many people like start off with their frustrations 
um, for the movie of like, how could Luke do this? But it's like in that moment, if Ryan Johnson wanted to spoon feed you something, he would be like, okay, well let's go with what the audience wants of. Yeah, of course Luke like grabs it, flourishes it a little bit. And then like, he's like, let's train. And then we get like a training montage. Like that would be, <laughs> Ryan Johnson spoon feeding the audience and exactly have, what they want. We have Ray running around with Luke in a backpack. <laughs> exactly. But instead, Ryan Johnson goes, let's make them work for this and gives them a scene where he flips it off the cliff. And then you're going, why would he do that? Like, there's so many moments in this movie that where Ryan Johnson is making the audience work. And I, what frustrates me is that people don't want to work at the movies anymore. And there's so many things in this movie that like we as an audience need to work out. And that movie also like sets that up for the rest of the series. What did you guys think of the rest of Ray and Luke's time on Octu? I think, I think it's mostly pretty interesting. It's a little slow at times. Um, It's not necessarily bad. I think it gives you time to kind of breathe and, and, and contemplate things. Um, The, the interesting part here. I guess is is the is what kind of comes out of it. What we learn about Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, who's not even here, and I think we we under we we figure out how important he is to this whole thing, and we learn a lot about him, even though he's we don't see him at all. Well, we do see him some with the Force connection kind of thing with his shirt off, right? With with his shirt <laughs> off, yeah. And you have, but, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of thing. It has a, it has a very weird, bizarre feel, um, even more bizarre than Luke and Yoda on Dagobah as that was kind of sometimes. Um, but, but I think it, it, as we've said for everything else, it kind of, it, it, it it once frames what's going to happen in the rest of the film and also catches up with what's happened in the last 30 years of the universe that we haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I loved it. Like anytime we weren't with, well, anytime we were in a other subplot, I was like, let's get back to Ray and Luke, please. Yeah. The coolest part of the, of the moments on Oct two for me, excuse me, was the moment where Ray goes into the dark side of the force. Yeah. That was so cool. And she like touches that mirror thing. And then she sees like, her future and she's like snapping and it's reverberating all the way down the line. And then she like that moment was just, that's one of those like mind melting moments that you're like, we're seeing this in a star Wars film right now. Like this isn't some weird, uh, this isn't ex machina where we're getting some sort of like mind melding type thing, but this is a star Wars movie where we're getting this trippy moment. Inception. Achu. Yes. Except except knock no, two no, oh, okay nope. moving Stop on um, <laughs> so then the other thing that we kind of get uh, in this time is we get Poe and Admiral Holdo which is an interesting sequence um, how did you guys feel about Laura Dern coming into this series I was she... like what <laughs> Laura yeah. Dern very surprised she was amazing yeah she did I, I, she, she was, was great so perfect. And that plot, like, they all, they perfectly play off that character into you thinking, like, she's evil, like, she's not, doesn't have the best intentions, and then, to, like, ultimately leading you to this place halfway through the movie where it's, like, what she's doing is the most courageous thing possible. 
Yeah, I have. Um, okay, so to make this complaint, let's get into it. I have it. to make a complaint about the other subplot. Um, the other subplot bigot- being Ray and Rose going to Canto Bite. I'm guessing. Yeah, Rose and Finn, and so my biggest. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My biggest yeah. complaint about this movie is pacing and subplots. Like the wow. entire Finn and Rose subplot was really rough, really unnecessary, very prequely. It's just like filled with one convenient solution after another, like a ton of MacGuffins basically. Uh-huh. And it this movie makes me appreciate The Force Awakens even more because that movie is like incredibly well-paced. Perfect popcorn movie comes in at like two hours uh, the Last Jedi was, I think, twenty to thirty minutes too long, um, which is basically the Finn and Rose subplot, which doesn't accomplish anything. It was just something for Finn to do. Like we don't, we don't need that in Star Wars. In the original trilogy, they put Han Solo in carbonite, so we don't have to spend time <laughs> with his story. Like it's not his story. And so when Ray, Luke, Leia, or Kylo Ren weren't on screen, I was just waiting for us to get back to them. Like I think Finn should have stayed in the medical bay until they make it to the rebel base where he can then like wake up and be a hero in some way to make up for being out this whole time. Like we never get an explanation of how the first order is tracking them through light speed. Like what if it was Finn? What if they were tracking him via Finn? Like him leaving literally accomplishes nothing. And then Poe is keeping that secret from vice admiral haldor or whatever and she's keeping her secret from poe all for no reason all of which accomplished nothing but i think i think what they're trying to get at so i'm going to comment on a couple different things here i don't fully understand the backlash on the canto bite scene it's not the strongest part of the movie but i don't think it's like prequel level i hate sand bad it's it's kind of just it's fine but what that scene ultimately does is a couple of different things, for me at least, is it gives us probably one of the most, it, it gives us something that the Star Wars series has never commented on, which is these two sides fighting and somebody else profiting off of it. And if for nothing else, that scene where DJ, who's Benicio Del Toro's new character, oddly with a stutter out of nowhere, um, gives <laughs> us this explanation of how they're on this rich person's ship and he has been selling chips to the Empire as well as to the Resistance. He's profiting off of their war. And I think that scene kind of gives us this dichotomy between how part of the universe lives in this euphoria and utopia while the other part of the universe is at this constant battle. I think what that scene was interesting for was because you think this entire universe is either the Empire or the Resistance, but there's this whole other sector off of here doing who knows what, who cares what, because they're living happily, gambling in a casino while other people are out there dying, fighting for something that these people don't even care about. Right. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you can make that point, but don't like make us spend... 30 minutes on a random subplot that has no impact on the actual story. Right. Yeah. I think, I think there's a couple of things here. I I agree, Cam. I think I wrote that in my notes too. It's the first time that the series deals with in a significant way, people who are outside, um, who are not in the outer rim, but are also not 
part of the Empire First Order or Resistance slash Rebel Alliance. And I think that's an interesting thing to kind of fill out the universe. Because, you know, as a kid, you kind of think, why isn't everyone helping the rebels? You know, like nobody wants right. to be under a dictator and tyranny and everything. But um, but I think that this kind of starts to explain why. I think the key thing that this does, um, it is obnoxious that solution after solution presents itself, just like you were saying, Jake. Um, it is all a little too easy, but I think it shows um, the immaturity of the characters within um, Finn and yes. Rose. And I think in Poe po to a certain extent as well. Um, and it, it, especially after Poe is it's at the same time trying to take action, but also trying to redeem himself a little bit from, from what happens at the very beginning. Um, so he sends Finn and Rose on this, or he, he helps them. Um, and I think, I mean, we see Finn's immaturity throughout the force awakens. Um, and, and we see, I mean, we see it again here. Um, it is a little iffy. It, it's all a little bit too easy. Um, and I, I don't think it's perfectly executed. But I think it's um I think it's a worthy a worthwhile part of the film. I think the Poe the Poe arc is a very interesting arc for me because it So so many of the characters in this of the new characters being Ray, Finn, Poe, and Kylo feel like the what ifs of the original trilogy characters. And I mean that in the sense of Kylo feels like what if Darth Vader had stayed evil. Ray feels like what if Luke hadn't had a teacher? Finn uh Finn's kind of a ro- I mean Finn's kind of like the um what if of Leia in a way and then Poe is the what if of Han of what if we caught Han bef- like te- like 5 or 6 years before we met him in a new hope and he was supposed to be leading a rebellion. And so these interesting like what ifs of these characters is like we're almost getting to explore the characters that we love in a new light in this series. And so that's interesting to me in how they kind of show like they're exploring this trope of Han in this new character of this risky pilot who kind of flies by the seat of his pants and doesn't really always consider the consequences of his actions, but just kind of you know, later Han just tries trying to think of what's the best thing that I can do for the people around me. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, although I would argue that Kylo has more in common with Luke than he does Darth Vader. Well, it's, so the interesting but, thing, but about that's that like, is that, like, that's not what we're talking about, but I, I would just, right. Throw, just well, throw okay, that in. Never mind. Thank you. Yeah. We'll stop. I was about to just go off. Okay. never mind. Um, so we've kind of talked various subplots. The other thing that we get in this, like, subplotty area of the movie where everybody's kind of off doing their own thing is the explanation of how Ben Solo became Kylo Ren. What did, did that work for you guys? How that sequence came together? The I three loved different it. Yeah. I Super interesting. That. I love, I Which love version the, do you think is the truth? The final one that Luke the, yeah. tells. Cause it's like the combination of the two. <laughs> right. And I love, there's a few things I love here. One, I love that Luke has the same, the same haircut and facial hair as Obi-Wan in episode three. Um, (laughs) That, that, that pleases me Two, What I love about this is that we, we see, and as, as Yoda warned way back a long time ago, Luke, because of the way that his, he came about his path of being a Jedi. He never, he never is able to get rid of his fatal flaw, which is impatience. And you see mm-hmm. impatience throughout 
all three all three of the the original trilogy and you see the kind of ultimate ramifications of his, his impatience here and i think that that's that's an interesting an interesting thing that we see where you know like this character has changed but he also um is still the same person he's always been one right. one thing that i love is like we've built Luke Skywalker up in these past like 30 years to just be this like legend, this amazing myth. But here he's this like broken shell of a man and it it, like totally like, and, and like you even that, that telling of him wanting to strike down a student as the students asleep like not even his student, you, his nephew. Yeah, yeah, when you hear that, when you hear that, you're like, "That's not Luke Skywalker," and it, it just reminds you that these are people, like these are normal right. people brushing with greatness and having to have that inner struggle constantly. Um, I and I Luke's somebody who's it. also having to deal with like his fear because it's not even like I really like from this movie. Luke isn't the ultra confident person that we have built him up to be. He has a lot of fear of the dark side that is left there by him almost being turned by his father and by Sidious. And it's one of those things where it's like, look at everything that happened to him in the original trilogy and kind of just assess like, what would that mentally do to somebody? You know, your dad's evil. He's constantly trying to make you evil. And then at the last second, he turns good but dies in the process and you know you are now having to deal with this whole thing of building up a whole brand new jedi order and you have this legend of this thing that everybody expects of you like that's a lot of pressure on a guy to then try and bring into this new world so yeah he's going to react in you know kind of chaotic ways maybe um this this whole sequence kind of wraps up and we get all these subplots kind of lead into this moment where Ray leaves Octu and Chewie takes her into the area where the battle is going on between the resistance and the empire as the resistance is staying out of uh, the distance of the empire's ships where they can't be fully attacked. And, you know, this gets Ray onto the ship with Snoke and Kylo. And this is the this is the scene where the bulk of the shockingness in this um in this episode happens. And so the first and probably most shocking moment in this movie is, you know, where Ray Snoke is commanding uh Kylo Ren and he's he he's said that he has Kylo Ren, he's been the one that's had Kylo Ren talking to Ray and you know, he sees he can see into his mind. He can read everything he's thinking. And he turns the lightsaber. And then the lightsaber he's actually turning is Ray's lightsaber next to Snoke. And Kylo Ren kills Snoke and cuts him in half. And the most, supposedly, one of the most powerful force users in the universe is killed. <laughs> I love this moment because this is one of those moments where it's like, Hey, yeah, you know that guy that everybody's like, he's the bad guy. He's the one that everybody, he's the best of the bad. Hey, he's killed. He's not important. He's not the focal center of this series. Focal center of this series is Kylo Ren and Rey. 
And that's who we're going to focus on. It's a perfect, shocking twist of a moment in the movie. What did you guys, what was your guys take away from this scene with Snoke? Yeah, I, I did not see that coming, but it was perfect. Perfect. in in every way I would have, I think I would have shot or edited it a little differently personally. How so? Um, yeah, so, like, they, tele- they telegraphed it a little bit. Yeah, I, I would want to have, like, instead of showing Ray's lightsaber turn towards Snoke, you see Kylo Ren's arm go up and raise his lightsaber at Ray, and he's fighting it, but you see on his face that he knows what he has to do, and he goes to press his lightsaber button, and then you cut to Snoke's face as you hear the sound and then he just like slumps over and then you cut to a wide shot and you see Snoke cut in half and like they the turning of the Ray's lightsaber I think gave it away obviously um but that's exactly what needed to happen for the story and it shows who Kylo Ren is and what he wants to be, and that he is the main antagonist in this film. And that fight scene that follows was amazing. And then the immediate, you you think that Kylo Ren has turned back, and and then immediately he's like, no, I I killed Snoke to be the ultimate bad guy. And you're like, okay, he's gone. That that lightsaber battle between Rey... And Kylo and the Praetorian guards oh, yeah. is maybe like one of the best like sword fighting moments, lightsaber, because it's not fully lightsaber on lightsaber, but it's one of the best action moments in all of Star Wars. Like I think the moment where Ray drops the lightsaber and catches it in the other hand. Whew, so good. I think it's the I think it's the best fight scene in the series. I don't and I don't I mean I I I think it the the level of interest in it and the the way that it shot the creativity with the actions the praetorian guard actually being something to fight against and not something that's just shredded by lightsabers the whole thing yeah. together i think it's the best fight scene in the series it's it's fantastic that that, that 10 th- minutes was amazing yeah do you guys think the praetorian guards are the knights of ren cuz the big thing out of this movie is that the knights of ren aren't in it at all that's what I was what I was gonna say. I think they almost have to be, but at the same time, well, maybe not almost have to be. I think it seems fairly likely, but it seems like they may have had a little bit more trouble with them if they were all Sith Force users. And also, would they have all chosen Snoke over Kylo after leaving? Presumably, the Knights of Ren are the group that left Luke's Jedi Temple when Ben destroyed it. Well, if they're slightly of weaker mind, then they may have been more manipulated by Snoke and may not be as much acting of their own free will and may have been more manipulated. I I just, it's one of those things that it's like I try and, all these complaints about the movie, I, I kept trying to think about ways they would work. And this is the one area that it's like, I can't really explain that. Like most other things I can justify, or there's an explanation for it in the movie. This is the one thing where I'm like, yeah, for the Knights of Ren being built up and even talked about in this movie as they are old apprentices of Luke that turned with Kylo, for them not to be featured is, is a very is a very weird moment. Maybe they're all carrying out individual missions across the galaxy. Yeah. I think it's more powerful, though, if you somehow in the ninth movie retroactively say that the Praetorian Guards were that, because then that's ultimately Kylo Ren killing his friends. 
which is even more sinister and evil. Are, are we going to talk about where Snoke came from or how that's mostly irrelevant now also? But I, I love yeah, it. I think that that's once again of, of Ryan Johnson going like, look, I didn't put importance into that question. You guys as fans put importance into that question. Yeah. He, it doesn't matter where he's from. All you need to know is that he's a bad guy who's super powerful and he's so powerful yet Kylo Ren defeated him. So what does that say about Kylo Ren? And then what does it also say about Rey and that she's able to stand toe to toe with Kylo Ren? Yeah, I, I love that he did that because it's like the most important thing about Snoke is that Kylo Ren killed Snoke. Like that's all that matters. Right. It's like the end of Inception when people are like, is he in a dream or is he not? And it's like, that's not the important question. Well, the important thing is like that he is able to finally be with his kids. And it's the same in this moment. It's like the important question isn't where he's from or who he is. It's the action that happens in the movie. Well, yeah. And it's Snoke's ultimate importance ended up being like the balance, balancing the power between Kylo and Hux. And now that Snoke isn't there, it changes the whole dynamic of how the first order operates. Yeah. Which you instantly see on crate when it's Kylo and Hux in that ship together trying to command the battle. Um, but the other very, very uh, shocking moment that we get in this sequence of events on Snoke, in Snoke's lair, is Kylo Ren telling Rey that she knows who her parents are. And what is the answer? <laughs> drunkards and no one. <laughs> Once she- again, Ryan Johnson going, your questions are irrelevant. Your theories are irrelevant. This is the story you're getting. I I, I love, it. love it. Absolutely love it. I know we we kind of talked about this in our last podcast, I think, that we felt like this was a pretty likely outcome. Right. Um and and I love it. It's like he basically it's it's almost like someone asked him the question and he just like walked away from the conversation. That's the way <laughs> that's the way he treated this. Yeah. I I love it so much. And honestly, it's kind of like I, when we were doing all of the theories and the force awakens thing, I kind of had that same opinion of like, yeah, we can spit out all these theories, but it doesn't matter. Cause we're not writing star Wars. Like right. it, it doesn't matter. And I, I just love it so much because not it, not everything is connected. The mightiest right. can fall. They should like Luke Skywalker mattered. He doesn't anymore. Like K- Kylo Ren is evil. Ray is a nobody who's rising up against him. Like this is what Star Wars should be. What this what and this makes I me I love it. What what this makes me wonder about more than anything else is if Ryan Johnson had been in charge of the last season of Lost, what he would have done <laughs> to all of the questions that JJ came up with. But he'd just been like, no, that's all stupid. <laughs> well, what's funny is that J.J. even came out and said, like, so Ryan Johnson, when he started writing this movie, Lucasfilm fully allowed him to come up with his own answer for whose Ray's parents were. And he said the answer he came to and the answer that's in the movie is the exact same answer that J.J. ended up coming to as well. Okay. So this was J.J.'s intention from the beginning. Um, but the beauty of this moment is that it brings it back to A New Hope. and originally we thought Luke was a no one. He was a farm boy from Tatooine who saved the rebellion. And this gets back to that point 
before we knew that he was from the most famous bloodline of all bloodlines was that anybody and anyone can be the most powerful person. They can be the chosen. Like it, it throws the chosen one out the window. It goes, anyone can be the important one. Anyone can save the resistance. And that's ultimately like the coolest thing because then that makes it go like, you don't have to be a Skywalker to be special. Like that gives hope back to the everyday person watching this movie that they're going, I could be that person. Like I don't have to be from a certain family. Anybody can be that force user. And that's what this moment gets to. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And I think to kind of come off of that, I know we, I think we talked about this last time, how what makes this, what made the force awakens so great is that the viewer is Ray. Like you are Ray when you're watching this film. Um, and I think that some of the issues with this film are when it with last Jedi loses that a little bit. And I think yeah. that that's kind of where some of the connection falls off is that we have big spaces of time without Ray. And really that's, that's who the viewer connects with because that's who that's like, that's the character we can most easily insert ourselves into. Strongly agree. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, and, and, yeah and I mean, at the same time, I, I could also make a pretty strong argument that Kylo Ren is the main character of this movie. Yeah, also I true. think because this whole, this whole movie feels like it's about like, or this kind of trilogy feels like it's about the balance of things. And so I think it's about, I think you're right, Trevor. I think it's about both of them and how, you know, he's not necessarily a Sith. She's not necessarily a Jedi, even though... Luke kind of alludes that she's a Jedi at the end, but it's more about like they are force users that balance each other out. Yeah. They're like, they're in that stage when you're playing Knights of the old Republic where you're like, I want to be a Jedi. And I'm pretty sure I answer the question this way if I want to be a Jedi, but I'm not totally sure. But I yeah. also <laughs> want to use force lightning every once right. in a while. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So they're, they're both I'm kind the of in that, that gray area. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. What are the odds you guys think of JJ coming in in the ninth movie and being like, because I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think this is an actual possibility. The way that Ray finds out about her parentage is Kylo Ren. How do we know that he's being truthful with her? Do you think yeah. there's a chance that JJ comes into the ninth movie and is like, yeah, Kylo Ren was messing with her. She's a Kenobi. If yeah. she knew that she was from this pure bloodline, she never would have turned. If she had, like, his best chance for turning was that she was a no one. I think the way that he says it and the way that she looks at him, I don't think that's possible. I agree with both possibilities. (laughs) (laughs) I know how to ride the fence. (laughs) Yeah. I can sleep on a fence. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's one of those moments that I'm like, I don't want that to be the way that they go, but I fully also understand if it is because the way that she's finding out about this is from Kylo Ren. And when I go back and watch force awakens, there is that moment where Kylo Ren's like, uh, he's asking about Finn and he's like, where is she? Where is he? He's like, he's on this planet with a girl and Kylo Ren's like, what girl? And there's this moment of like, what if Kylo Ren knows who she is? What if she is a Kenobi or a Skywalker? What if she is like someone? I, okay, so everybody is saying this, and 
I, I have the opinion of someone tells you he's with a girl and anybody's reaction would be what girl? I mean, presumably like, the only girl Finn has ever encountered is Captain Phasma at this point in his life, right? We don't know Captain Phasma was a girl up until the shocking we moment knew. where they zoom in on her eye. Well, I mean, we except, that, except that we knew that Gwendolyn Christie played her. Well, yeah, but uh, what I'm trying to get at is the point where her and Finn fight and then like her mask breaks and they kind of like zoom in on her eye and it's like, they're like shocking. Phasma was a girl and it's like, was that supposed to be? A shot? Yeah, I thought that was a little odd too, but the armor yeah, I, to me boobs, is the biggest guys. fault in this movie. <laughs> the armor <laughs> had boobs. So But yeah, I, I agree yeah. with Jake on this. I don't think that that means a whole lot, and I don't think it's supposed to signal anything huge, especially after what's happened in this film. I think it might have had some meaning before we saw The Last Jedi, but now the way that everything has happened here, um I don't know. And I and I think I was trying to think, has Kylo ever told a lie? Have we seen him lie to anyone? We've seen him do lots of bad things, but I don't think we've seen I don't think we've seen him lie. This is actually Star Wars and uh Pinocchio crossover because <laughs> Disney owns both. And so he can't lie or else his nose would grow. It's already so. fairly large. <laughs> um before we get to Trevor? No, never, never. Adam Driver is before. just kind of a big dude. He's kind of a weird-looking guy. He was um, in the military. That there's a lot of weird-looking people in the military. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you for your service, but it's the truth. Um, before we get to the final, before we talk about the ending, I just want to say one thing: the light speed kamikaze moment. Yes. Holy crap! That's my favorite shot maybe ever and the, that, and star, the cinema the cinematography in this film like some of the best shots ever in a star wars movie ever but that scene i literally out loud said whoa like it yes. was amazing so that's that's like the ultimate example of less is more like just the freeze everything and drop the sound and it shocks the crap out of people like yeah. that that's was... the moment where you're like, Ryan Johnson is a Star Wars fan because any Star Wars fan would want to know what happens when a ship jumps through <laughs> life speed through another ship. And he that's answers why... it and gives us the best answer. That's why you don't do it straight from the surface of a planet. Right. Um, it's, yeah, I, that, that was amazing. My, and the theater goes, went silent, or at least mine did. Yeah. It was yeah. just, people were just blown away. Yeah. And it's like, as it's happening, you're kind of sitting there going like, this isn't going to actually happen. This, there's no way this isn't. And then it happens. And you, like, it's one of those moments, like I would love to have a camera on people's, like on the audience as that moment happens to see just how many people's like jaws drop. I think Mine I almost like stood up. I think I, I think I had like a <laughs> involuntary reaction where I had to stop myself from standing. It was amazing. Somebody just get ups and walks walks out the theater. <laughs> like marches, marches out. Yeah. We we should Jake, you kind of hit on this. The cinematography on this movie before we get to anything else is amazing. Steve Yedlin, who has been the cinematographer on all of Ryan Johnson's films Back to Brick and, you know, with Brothers Bloom and Looper, did an amazing job. And the aesthetic in this movie is just 
it it has that like retro tone to it that lends itself to this kind of aged version of the universe. That's you know it's well done, Steve Yedlin. And the other big shot that took my breath away. This is going to be a really good segue, guys. Luke Skywalker standing in front of all of those at yes. at whatever they are. That that was like the ultimate space western moment. I was oh, literally yeah, like, it was. yes, that, that it was so good. Yeah, that was like to the the very soul of the franchise on yeah. display right yeah. there. Yeah, it that's really that moment was. that like true fans who like have loved this series and followed it have been waiting for of like what is he capable of? Yeah. And in that it's, moment we find out, but we also find out with a twist. We got to talk about it. Yeah. So, well, I mean, so first of all, that battle at crate the, before we get to anything where the ships are just flying and kind of cutting open the um, floor of the salt oh, bed man. is the visuals. Beautiful. There. Yeah. And uh, we, we get this moment and I just want to talk about this quote really quick. Cause this quote has kind of, this quote is the is so timely. It's so it's it sums up how I feel about Star Wars in so many different ways, and it's beautiful. It's when uh, Rose Tico saves Finn from the blaster as he's about to fly into it and sacrifice himself. And you know, she, as she's kind of in this like dazed state, she says to him, "It's it's not about um, destroying what we hate, but it's about saving what we love." And it's, it, that's one of those quotes that it's like, I've sat and like thought about that quote. Like I've like driven like to and from work and just like thought like, what a beautiful like way to just kind of sum up like so many different things in a single line. And it's perfect. Who else thought and, uh, Finn was going to die? I did. Oh, for sure. I was, I was all in. I was, I was suckered. I kind of wanted it to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, well, like in the way of like him save the day, like him save the day, and then like, what does that do to Ray psychologically? Like, and then also uh, after Rose does save him, you have like the least chemistry a kiss has ever had in cinema, and yeah, it was (laughs) yeah. But what that line sets up is what Luke ultimately does. You know, it's not about him. Luke comes, we get his beautiful moment with Leia. And then, you know, it's Luke facing off against the Empire. And it's not about him destroying everything there. It's not about him showing the might of his power, but it's about him providing enough time for the Resistance to save the people he loves. Before we, before we get into that, one more quick thing about um, the, the kind of battle sequence on Crate is when... When Chewie and Ray arrive and and show up and Ray starts shooting people and is like, wow, this is awesome. And then Kylo says, concentrate all fire on that ship. And Finn is like, they really hate that ship. I got like tears in my eyes because the just like that type of thing is like, I mean, we, we see it with Han doing the same exact thing in episode four. We see this like the bizarre significance of this spaceship within this series is mm-hmm. is really incredible, and the relationship between Ray and Chewie we don't see very much of it, but you can definitely tell how important that is and how well they get along 
Um, but just that the whole way that they reintroduced them to the story kind of out of nowhere was was really emotional and worked really well, I think. Yeah. But uh, that leads into Luke's climactic battle where he shows up and faces off against Kylo Ren. And do we want to talk about that or do we want to get to the, the twist with it and talk that? Well, I think I'll just I'll just nerd out here for a second. Um, so he steps out and Kylo Ren commands like fire every gun we have at that man. And it's just like super overkill. And then it like the dust fades away and he's still there. And Mark Hamill just gives that little shoulder brush, which is just like so perfect. Mark Hamill's amazing in this movie. Oh yeah. He's, he's great. Fantastic. Like this is who, this is the character he was born to play. But um, that happens, and in your mind, you're like, holy crap, Luke Skywalker. This is Luke Skywalker. He's amazing. He can do anything. The ultimate Jedi. This is going to be amazing. And then Kylo Ren comes down, and they face off, and it's amazing. And then there's a moment, that moment you think Kylo Ren charges and slices Luke in half. And Luke just turns around, and he's like, nope, lightsabers don't hurt me. And then in your head, you're like, what? Oh, my God. Luke Skywalker is better than lightsaber. What is going on? No. <laughs> and then, and then it, it, it's even another step. He's not even there. He's force projected himself from Octu onto the actual. Place. Okay. So, so here's the thing. I had no idea that's what was happening. I did notice that there was no gray in his beard and his hair was shorter but I didn't really know what that meant. (laughs) And one of the interesting things is like, he doesn't leave. They make it very known that like any touching on the surface leaves like the red from underneath the salt. And he Uh doesn't leave like any footprints or anything under there. Oh, I didn't notice that. Also, and they never touch until Kylo tries to slice him in half. He dodges everything Kylo does, which at first looks like one of those, like I'm the older, wiser gonna let you do your thing <laughs> young you know? grasshopper right but yeah but i mean yeah. i thought it was a nice touch that the force projection was the luke that we see in the flashbacks with ben solo not mm-hmm. the one that we see on octo yeah yeah it and they they perfectly set up luke actually like because you they show his old uh x-wing in the waters of octu uh-huh and without that shot we would be like well how did he even get yep, back but like that was your mind is kind of subtly like well he could have just raised rose risen that ship raised that ship raised that ship up from the water <laughs> and then he could have flown back and it would have all made sense and nobody he, would have questioned yeah, that it, was but- that was a pretty big violation of Chekhov's gun that principle <laughs> there yeah, yeah no it was a. Uh... It was amazing. And going off of that, I think the the battle of Crate, as amazing as it was visually, um, and like how well it ties everything up, I think the what what I kind of just realized that I think makes it so uh memorable and so powerful is we literally have major character development for every character in the series in that 20 minutes yeah yes it's it's everybody it's perfect storytelling like luke skywalker sacrifices himself for the ones he loves 
uh, Kylo Ren fully steps into the dark side, but at the same time shows his not ready immaturity. <laughs> exactly. We have General Hux showing that he is now looking at Kylo Ren as the leader. Rey becomes essentially a full Jedi. Leia gives up command responsibility to Poe. Poe grows up and realizes it's not about the fight, but about surviving to fight another day. Rose has courage to save Finn, and Finn has the courage to finally sacrifice himself and not run away. It is perfect character development and and resolve for everything that the film sets up. And also at the same time is not a happy ending. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Because Luke ultimately... The explanation I've seen, because I've tried to figure out, like, okay, is he dead? What does this mean? But is that he, what Ryan Johnson has said, is that he becomes one with the Force. Yeah, we're about to get some some Episode Nine Force Ghost stuff. <laughs> Which also, wait, hold on for a second. We got Force Ghost Yoda in this I movie. know. With Frank Oz. Like old, and Yeah, old puppeteer. And a puppet, Finally. yes. Not the CGI Yoda crap. And no. you could Kooky. Oh. <laughs> Kooky Yoda, too. Like... <laughs> Yes, kind of crazy. Old Loved snarky it. Yoda. Yeah. I love crazy Yoda is the best Yoda. It's not even a question. Yes. Not like young nine hundred year old Yoda, kooky nine hundred and fifty year old Yoda. Yeah, I thought we were gonna see Obi Wan also, but Yoda was the perfect character for that sequence because Yoda has, especially what we see in Episode Five, is been a like forget all of the circumstance and crap. Like this is what's actually important. And we see like the true, like the end of that with him being the one who ignites the fire instead of Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yoda kills the Jedi essentially. Yeah. But at the same time, like once we get onto the millennium Falcon at the end, all of those old Jedi texts are in the millennium Falcon. Yes. So yeah, that stole them. <laughs> <laughs> which but like how okay so that that's that's right. kind they of were they weren't actually in there when when they lit it up yeah <laughs> so you know, you know that, that is what it is but you know we get to the end of the battle crate luke's dead leia's alive um it's interesting that the two original prequel killer or the two original series characters that they've killed off are actually alive and unfortunate that even though general leia is still alive in the movie that carrie fisher has passed away in real life and so yeah. you know i think they set these up to where like the first movie's han's movie second movie's luke's movie and the third movie was supposed to be carrie fisher's movie yeah um yeah. and it's interesting if you look at it from the angle of like the original prequel or the original series is so much about like trying to turn luke to the dark side and this series is so much about trying to turn kylo ren to the light side and so if you want to go the george lucas poetry route then <laughs> if you look at kylo as luke and Ray and Leia as like the Emperor Palpatine Darth Vader combo, I think they were setting up to explore some very like intense moments with you know Kylo Ren and his mom General Leia. Uh, yeah, it does I mean it's not going to happen now, but it seems like right. the potential was there. Do yeah, you? Guys... And they've gone ahead and said that they're not going to use CGI face mapping or whatever to put. Leia in episode nine, she's not going to be in there whatsoever. I, so I think that's the right decision. Yeah. How do you guys think they write her out of that ninth movie? Do you think like it starts with a funeral for her? I mean, or do you think like she's off doing some side mission? She's pretty old. So it's not too hard to explain her away. 
Yeah. yeah I, it just wouldn't I make know. sense if she's off in the galaxy doing something else. Like she's too powerful to not be a part of this main story. I think they kind of have to segue her out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think that she knows that Luke is a force projection? I think she almost has to. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I have I don't know. no with idea. Her, with her knowledge and experience of the force and her and him touching her, I feel like I feel like she has to know, like feel it. Yeah, with the whole Hans dice thing. Also, wait, we haven't even talked about this. When Luke goes on to the Millennium Falcon and he's like, what are we even doing here to R2? And R2 plays the old clip uh. of Leia. Oh, yeah. That's the perfect like callback fan service it's, moment. Of all that's time. the that's the you the real MVP of this movie. Always R two D two forever and always, always yes. the greatest. And Luke's response of that was a cheap shot, just like <laughs> it is so good. There really yeah, feels like it feels like there was a lot of Mark Hamill and Luke in this, like kind of knowing who Mark Hamill is and the kind of person that he is. At least the feeling that I get there was. A lot of himself in Luke in this this movie. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. So where where do we go from here? Because that's, that's the ultimate part of this movie that's kind of exciting is I think that this sets up so many different things with the little kid on Canto Bite and just like this series is, you know, we are going to get to, because this kind of series feels like it kind of ends in a way where return of the Jedi ends. And so we're going to get to see like that next chapter of that, like the big emperor's dead. Where do we go? I, I, something I love about this movie is that it leaves us with no idea. The resistance is now 15 people. One of them, a Jedi, one of them, the best pilot in the galaxy and everybody else just does a few things here and there or is old. Um, but I will say, if I had to make a prediction, this thing has to end up, it has to end, it has to go back to Tatooine. Uh, <laughs> oh. Like, it, it just, it has to, right? I mean, I don't, where else is the final showdown of the Skywalker saga going to take place? That yeah. would be awesome. Um, I refuse to speculate. <laughs> over what's going to happen because this movie showed us that we can't and right. that it's in good hands and no matter how much we nerd out or speculate about stuff it it really doesn't matter. Yes. Are we going to are we going to see DJ again in the fantastic Benicio del Toro? Do you like Benicio del Toro in this movie? I think he's great all the time always. See, I, I wasn't like they huge, wasted like a lot was... of money on him. Yes, like I agree. That character they, they could have easily been Justin Thoreau, who plays the actual person they're supposed to go after in the which casino. Which is really like, bizarre. It, it, yeah, that Justin Thoreau, a big actor, is kind of a, a throwaway cameo. Um, and not like a like Daniel Craig Stormtrooper throwaway cameo. It's a... That's Justin Thoreau, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Benicio Del Toro was like... You could have put anybody in that role. And they probably wouldn't have stuttered. And it would have been just as good. <laughs> I, I like the stutter. I think it I think it makes the character sort of even more bizarre and weird. That's just what you get if you hire Benicio del Toro. Like they were probably like rolling and he did it and Ryan Johnson was like, What? 
Yeah, there's there's what? no way what was that, that wasn't no. <laughs> there's, there's almost no stutter. There's almost no way that was in the script. He yeah, that yeah, was like, that very much him. That's the part that feels the most prequel to me is the stutter. That feels like Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah. I I don't get the backlash of this movie. It's uh there's, there's a petition now to have Disney remove it from canon. It has over 26,000 signatures as of as of right now. Like I'm watching it right now on my screen. I don't understand. Like what? In all fairness, on at the on the bottom of the actual thing, so if you scroll, if you go to it, just go to change. It's actually on official change.org. Just wow. type in how Disney strike, have Disney strike Star Wars episode eight from the official canon. And if you scroll down to the very bottom, there's an update and it says the support is appreciated, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then this guy goes on this long rant about how he was on pain medication from a <laughs> previous injury and how this is slightly misdirected anger. That now has twenty six thousand three hundred four hundred and two, twenty six thousand four hundred and four four hundred five uh, signatures. <laughs> I think. I so, think. As as I, I mean, I like this movie more than I did an hour and a half ago. I think it's going to age well. Yes. I think. I think second watch is going to be really good. To all those people who, so if you guys go on Rotten Tomatoes and you look at the tomato meter. The critics have it at a 93. The audience score is at a 55. And supposedly there have been spam bots that were set up to just spam this movie with negative reviews from fans because they accidentally went over to Shape of Water and there are negative reviews for The Last Jedi on the Shape of Water Rotten Tomatoes page. So if that's true and people actually did spam this movie because they were so angry, that's ridiculous. Like that's taking it too far. You don't have a life and that's sad. So I don't get the backlash of this movie. I love this movie. This is an amazing Star Wars movie, and we should be thankful that we have Ryan Johnson in here to direct this movie. And that we have him directing three more Star Wars movies after this. Yeah. It's crazy. So let's give our final thoughts and our scores for the movie. Am I going? Am I first? Go ahead. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't really say anything, so go ahead. Yeah, it, it's okay. It's okay. Um, yeah, the more we talked about it, the more I like it. Um, I I said my complaints about the Rose and Finn subplot, which I still stand by it being unnecessary. Um, but I think my favorite thing is like for the first time in a long time, this is a Star Wars movie with like an actual perspective, and yep. uh, it's it's being told by a storyteller who's not afraid to blow up a universe and break down the characters and the heroes. And I just love the way he totally messed with all of our preconceived notions. Um, Star Wars feels new. It feels fresh. And that that's amazing. So uh, I'm going to give this movie an A minus um, on rewatch. It might get bumped up to an A or an A plus. Yeah, I agree. This has grown on me. Coming out of the theater, I didn't really know what to think about it. Um, I've been thinking about it constantly since I saw it. Um, I th- I echo a lot of what you say, Jake. Um, this is the first time since I was a kid that I was able to see a Star Wars movie with new familiar characters and had no idea where it was going. Um, 
Because with, you know, Force Awakens, you spend a lot of the time getting to know the characters. With with Last Jedi, we know these new characters, but we have no idea what's going to happen to them. Um, it's almost like you're watching Empire or Return of the Jedi for the first time because you don't know where it's going to go whatsoever. And I think that it's a, a worthy addition to the saga. It's a different thing. It's a new thing. Um, it's incredibly welcome. There's so many great things. A couple small missteps here and there. Um, I anticipate um, rewatch to be really good, really fun. Um, I love this. I give it a to to reuse my skill from last time a a BB seven point five out of BB eight. <laughs> um, it's just it's not quite not quite perfect, amazing film or anything for me at this point. But I I really liked it. Um, as I said at the beginning, I liked where we ended up, but I didn't always like how we got there. The overall story is great, though. This is, like I said earlier, it's my favorite Star Wars movie outside of the original trilogy. And I don't know if anything that comes after this, I don't know if any of these could ever touch that. Those hold such a like sacred place in my heart as far as movies go. And so it would be nearly impossible, but this movie gets so close. Um, it's a Star Wars movie, and it's a blockbuster movie that takes so many risks and chances. and that's to be rewarded like risks on this level are not seen every year every five years like this is a big this is probably arguably the biggest franchise movie franchise in the world and it takes so many risks with its characters and it goes so many like fascinating and amazing places that it should be it should be rewarded for that it should be you know it should be looked highly upon for that. And that's something that, you know, we, I think we should strive to have more of in our blockbuster movies is, is movies that take chances like this. Um, I like, I love this movie. I love the characters. There's so much progression with the characters. There's, uh, so many amazing moments from, you know, the force jump and everything for, from the light speed jump and the sword fights, lightsaber fights. I'm mixing up my words so much right now. I just love this movie. I'm so excited about it. And uh, this is an A plus for me. This is Ryan Johnson hit a grand slam in game seven of the world series. So congrats, Ryan Johnson, star Wars universe. You have me more excited than ever. And now it's time to not speculate about anything for the next two years, because we've been told that's not important. So who cares? Go it's going to be awesome about not doing that. Yeah. And, uh, Job well done, guys. That's it's an amazing movie, and they should be extremely proud of this. That's all we have for our Star Wars The Last Jedi review. Let's go ahead and get to our content of the week. Trevor, what is your content of the week? All right, keeping it on the Star Wars theme, um, if somehow you haven't seen all the Star Wars movies, watch them. If you like Star Wars, you should also check out um, The Clone Wars, the animated series, and the movie. Um, it kind of takes up some, a nice little space in Star Wars Saga between episodes two and three. Um, gets you some fun little action there. And my other Star Wars recommend is going to be the series of comic books and graphic novels that have been coming out the past couple of years. I have not read all of them, but I've read some. They're very good. Um, the Darth Vader's are good. The Obi-Wan and Anakin's are good. Um, I'm excited to read the Captain Phasma one, which I have not done yet. Um, but check those out. A lot of them, they are come out as comic books, but a lot of them have been collected as graphic novels um, with the whole series together. And your local library is a great place to check out graphic novels because they probably have a lot of them. Hmm. And it's free. Good recommend. Um, 
I'm going to re-recommend the podcast soundtracking because the newest episode is with Ryan Johnson and he talks about working with John Williams and how John Williams scores movies. And so that was very interesting. She never goes as like deep as I want her to go interviewing the subjects, but Ryan Johnson's a pretty busy guy, so I can forget it. Um, and then uh, I just started watching Legion, the FX show about uh, X-Men, kind of. Um, and it is probably one of the best pilot episodes and most creative pilot episodes I've ever seen in a show. And I can't wait to finish it. It is amazing. At least the pilot is. So I uh, would highly recommend Legion based on the first episode so far. Yeah. Let's wait. Let's I just quickly jump. I'm going to quickly jump in here and say that John Williams did an amazing job of doing familiar yeah. things, but but new things at the same time with the score. And that's yeah. why he's the best. He is yeah. the best. Isn't he like 90 or something? I mean, he's pretty... He's pretty up there, and he's still doing amazing progressive things. He's timeless. At his age, also, even if even if he passes before the next few Star Wars films, let's just like recycle everything. I mean, we can yeah. we can find a piece of his score to fit the movie. We don't need someone new scoring Star Wars films. Nope. Um, I'm gonna jump on what Trevor said about the Clone Wars because if you are someone who likes the mythos of the Force and of Star Wars. There's a lot of backstory in Clone Wars uh, TV series that explores a lot of that that's really fun. And also the prequel trilogy or the prequel trilogy characters are somehow 10 times more likable in that version. Um, I don't know how they did that. Um, but yeah, the, so my two my two actual recommends of the week though are I had a chance to see The Disaster Artist this past week and man, it is fantastic it's so emotionally complex and what james franco is able to do in this movie is just nothing short of amazing um i haven't actually seen the room i've watched a bunch of the clips online to where i feel like i've seen the room and uh man this movie is it's such a it's just it's so hard to talk about without like spoiling anything or without giving things away but it's it's so complex in how it deals with like and it's just amazing. Like if you have ever like watched a bad movie and been like, how could they make that choice? Like it takes such a sincere look at how somebody could go from trying to make an amazing movie and just ends up making arguably one of the worst movies of all time. Um, and then my other recommend is there's a photographer um, named Chris Bricard, who's a landscape and started as a surfing photographer. And he made a, a documentary about travels in Iceland called Under an Arctic Sky. And it just came out on Netflix. It's like 40 minutes, maybe. It's like a short documentary. Um, But it's really interesting and it's really cool. And it kind of just talks about how these guys are trying to find waves up in the Arctic Circle. And, you know, Chris Bricard's kind of photographing them. So it's like part surfing documentary, part photography documentary. And it's pretty cool. Uh, It's pretty quick, too. So it's well worth your time. That is all we have for this week's edition of Popcorn Optional. We've loved talking Star Wars, and so if you've loved listening, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way for us to grow. That's the best way for you to show us your appreciation um, and love of the podcast is just to recommend us, tell people about us. Um, If you want to interact with us more, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Popcorn Optional. Uh, You can also go to our website at popcornoptional.com. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes as well as on our website. My name is Cameron Salina. You can find me online at 321 Time. Jake, 
Where can we find you online? JakeBrown.tv. Trevor? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TurboTrevor. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with another new episode. So until next time, pop, pop. Bye. May the force be with you. Oh, Trevor, that was good. (laughs) 